When I was in the Holy Land, the privilege of preaching at the tomb, and I preached this text, Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. I will preach this again someday as we, one year during Easter, we'll go through all the feast. We'll show you how it all ties together. It's pretty exciting stuff. But tonight, we're just going to briefly touch on Exodus chapter 12. The seven peace, <laughs> the seven feasts speak of the past, the present, and the future. There were three, uh, these were Yahweh's feast uh, fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. There were four spring feasts, Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, and Pentecost, three fall feasts. They were all tied to agriculture and all tied to the Lord, the Messiah. So tonight we're going to look at the Passover for just a few moments. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 11. I want you to mark your Bibles. This is a night where you need your thinking caps. It's not as simple as Sunday mornings, Okay. You need your thinking caps to mark your Bibles or when you go home to mark them later. And I always have a copy of my notes for Brother Mike back there. He can run you a copy. I can give you this slop if you want it afterwards. But we want you to learn something tonight. In verse 11 of chapter 12, uh, we read our text. It says, And thus ye shall eat it with your loins girded and your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. They're getting ready to flee Egypt. So they're going to have this Passover feast before they leave. But notice these words. It is the Lord's Passover. And you know when you see those four capital letters who that is Yahweh. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, Christ is our Passover sacrificed for us. So this Passover... The Jews still celebrate the Passover. It points back to when they left Egypt and also back to Jesus Christ. But prior to Christ, it pointed back to leaving Egypt and ahead to the future Messiah. And you can see these connections all the time. The fact that 1 Corinthians says in 5-7, it quotes a part of this verse saying it is the Lord's Passover. So there's several things we're going to point out. It's the Lord's Passover. There's three things I want to mention here. First of all, there's an appointment with death. There's an appointment with death. Look at 11.5, Exodus 11.5. I'll quote you the New Testament passages. You can look them up later. In all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even of the firstborn of the maidservants that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of the beasts. So one of their, every animal, everything's going to die. The firstborn, the first calf that cow gives birth to will die. And all the, the servants and even the Pharaoh, the firstborn will die. And how does that parallel with uh, the New Testament? We'll look over to verse 12, 12, 12. For I'll pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn with the land, in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. So he's going to pass through and execute judgment. Now notice it says here, against all the gods of Egypt. The Egyptian chief, uh, the, the chief god, their lamb god, they had a lamb god, his name was Ammon. Now they wouldn't eat a sheep or a lamb. They wouldn't, of course the Jews ate lamb. They, the Egyptians wouldn't. They wouldn't kill one. They had a, a lamb god. And so all this would be very foolish and offensive to them. And so one of their 
their sheep are going to die as well. The little lambs are going to die. And we know the parallel in the New Testament is for the wages of sin is death. All right? What does Hebrews 9.27 say? It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. Now, who would die? Those would die who didn't have faith in the I am of the Old Testament. Now, who's the I am of the Old Testament? You know who it is. Before Abraham was, I am. Who said that? Jesus. We didn't know his name to Bethlehem, but we know that, that he's a fulfillment of all these Old Testament passages. Now, so there was an appointment with death. Then verse 5 of chapter 12, there's an animal without spot. Now, I want you to notice the progression of terms here. In verse 3, the last five words, it says, a lamb for a house. Remember we talked Sunday about the average Jewish family having 10 people, and they would all sacrifice a lamb, and we have records historical records that said they sacrificed 256,000 plus lambs in one Passover, meaning there were 2.6 million people that came from all over the world to Jerusalem for Passover. Here it says, a lamb for a house. Notice the little word, a. I like Luke 2.11. The angel said he's a savior, a savior. Notice verse uh, 4. It says in the first line, and if the household be too little for the lamb, there's a definite article. Now it's the lamb. I, I like uh, the Samaritans. They said he's the Savior, the definite article. That's important. Those little words mean something. Then in verse 5, the first two words, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male. Your lamb. I love what Mary said. He's my Savior. You notice the progression. It becomes more and more personal. And so, and they loved their lambs. Remember, they kept lambs as pets. And it says here, the lamb had to be without spot and without blemish. The parallel is 1 Peter. 1 Peter uh, chapter um, 1, 19 and 20, you know the verse, we're not redeemed with corruptible things, but with the precious blood of Christ as what? A lamb without blemish and without spot. So again, we see Jesus here in Exodus 12. Right? That lamb is a type of the lamb. That lamb is a type of your lamb who was shed for you. And it's as if you gave up your best friend. When Jesus went to the cross, the brokenness of the people who loved him. But then he arose. I like that. But the lamb is a very personal thing. I like Isaac asked, where is the lamb? And I like what John the Baptist said, whoa, behold the lamb. That means, wow, look at the lamb. And then we know the angels said in Revelation 5 too, worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb. So we have here an animal without spot. And third, and finally, we have an application of blood. In verse 22 of chapter 12. And this is where we kind of dive in a little deeper. Pretty fantastic to me. I study a lot, and when stuff like this hits me, it overwhelms me. You don't know how many times I've sat in my office and wept because I was just overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit teaching me and pointing stuff like this out. So you want to you write this stuff down for later. 
But we know the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. That's the New Testament, Hebrews 9.22. Look here in verse 22. <clears throat> An application of blood. 12.22. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin. Now the word basin, 11 times in your Bible, is translated door. When they took that lamb and they sacrificed it, they sacrificed in the blood of, in the doorway where they killed the animal was just everywhere. It was like a pool of blood. Now they may have put some in a container. We don't know. But we know it was a bloody, gory mess just like the foot of the cross. Now look at this. This is exciting stuff. You'll take this hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts. So they took the, the hyssop and they dipped it. It was a branch with a lot of brush on it, and they would take it, and they would smote the lintel, the head post. You remember that crown of thorns they shoved on his head? You see the typology? Then they would strike the side post. You see the typology? The nails in his hand. And blood would just pour down. But the fascinating thing is, is not only is that basin translated door 11 times, but... What's exciting to me is the word strike the lintel. Strike the lintel. Now, there's several passages we could look at, but we know that in Isaiah 53, verse 4, we're going to turn there, and this is where you'll, or you can write it in Exodus, but in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, and you're well aware of this passage because you've heard this passage preached and you've heard it read. I want to ask Don to read it Sunday. But in chapter 53, verse 4, we know it says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Now, what am I going to say? You must know already that the same Hebrew word that's found back in Exodus with that lamb is applied in Isaiah 53 to the Lord. He was smitten. He was stricken. In fact, it's interesting, the word strike in Exodus 12 is, is the same word translated stricken here. Then, there's also some other interesting things. In Exodus chapter 17, 6, Moses is told to strike or to smite the rock. In Numbers 20, it again says he did smite the rock the second time. That's the word here translated smitten. So you have stricken and smitten. Both we see clearly in Old Testament typology. Now, we know the first time he smote the rock, he was told to smote it, to smite it by God. Right? And that's a type. What is, who is the rock? 1 Corinthians 10.4, that rock was Christ, the Messiah, the fulfillment. The Meshach, the Messiah, was a fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament. 300 prophecies. But then in Numbers, once again, Moses is told to get water from the rock, but he's told to speak to the rock. And I know you've heard this preached. We all have. And what did he do? He hit it a second time. And because he did that, he wasn't allowed to enter the promised land. He died at the border. One day he's going to come back in the tribulation period. He's seen in the transfiguration, a picture of things to come. He and Elijah are going to come back. 
Enoch's not coming back. People think it's Enoch. He's a Gentile. He's not coming back. Jews revere Jews. Moses represents the law. Elijah the prophets. They're both named in Revelation, are described in Revelation 11.4 and named in Malachi. So those two guys are coming back. So Moses will one day get to be in the promised land. He'll be killed and resurrected. But I got off the subject there, but I want to say this. He disobeyed God. Because God doesn't need to be crucified afresh and anew. He died once. And that striking of the rock was a type, and the same Hebrew word is smiting the doorpost and the head. And in Isaiah 53, he was smitten, he was stricken, and that's all tied together. So when we take the Lord's Supper, we're thinking all the way back about when he was symbolized back in Exodus 12 as a lamb. Your lamb, by the way. Then we see him in Isaiah 53, stricken and smitten as a lamb. And then, of course, we see him in the New Testament as without spot and blemish. Because without being spotless and perfect, he couldn't have paid for our sin. Jesus never sinned. Even when he drove the money changers out, he never sinned. He could be angry and sin not. He couldn't sin because he was impeccable. He was God, and his character wouldn't allow him to sin. So we see all this tied together, and we know that they ate the meat. Hebrews 5.14 says strong meat belongs to them that are of a full age. We know they received assurance. Look at 12.12 back in Exodus 12.12, and I think we've already read this, but I'll just read it again. It says here, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn. Man and beast, and against all the gods, I will execute judgment. He says, I will, I will, I will, because I am. That's what he says in that verse. I will, I will, I will, and I am. He gives us the assurance. I love 1 John 5, 13. These things have been written unto you that you may know. Hey, if you're not sure of your salvation, you need to read the Bible more. That's how you get assurance. That will assure you that God's in here. And so we find here this matter of... Uh, 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 him striking it twice. Hebrews 10.29 says, we shouldn't trodden under the foot the Son of God and count the blood an unholy thing. And when Moses smote the rock the second time, he was basically saying Christ needs to be crucified again. Now, he didn't know that. He didn't say that, but he disobeyed. In one act of disobedience puts you out of fellowship with God. And so you can imagine what it was like for him to hear that he will not enter the, homeless, the, the Holy Land. Then finally in 1243, he says in 1243, And the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. There shall no stranger eat thereof. This carries over. In the New Testament, we are told that if you don't know God, you ought not to take the Lord's Supper. And for a Christian, there's a pretty severe warning. If you're a Christian and you're not right with God and you take the Lord's Supper, the Bible says many are sick and some dead because they continued to disobey God. So you want to be a Christian and you want to make sure when we take the Lord's Supper that you've confessed your sin. Confess doesn't mean to repent again. Your sin's already paid for. The word confess means to agree with God. Today, I was driving in my car, and I said, yes, Lord, you got me. Holy Spirit said, you did something wrong. And I had to confess, Lord, I, I, I did the wrong thing. Please forgive me. And he always does. 
He cleanses us from all unrighteousness, First John goes on. And you know that word cleanse I taught you. What is it? It's the word catheter. You go to the hospital and you got all that yuck in you. They stick a catheter in, all that yuck comes out. That's what the word, that's the Greek word. And so we can confess. But all this, I love First John 1, 7 says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Hey, if you're not right with God, you cannot have fellowship tonight with God or believers because you need to confess first. But all this was foolishness to the Egyptians. Now, back in chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, this month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year unto you. So God changed the calendar. This was the chief month to the Egyptians. This was a time the Zodiac, uh, they felt, would point everyone towards their lamb god. And here all of a sudden, the Israelites are killing all these lambs, and then God, when He when He smites them, He takes their little lambs, the firstborn of all their all their flocks. And this seemed crazy to them. But what is First Corinthians chapter one? It will go there real quickly, and then I'll go to Luke twenty-two. So if you can't catch up, you, you can go to Luke twenty-two. But in First Corinthians chapter one, I love this. This was foolishness to the Egyptians. But listen to First Corinthians. Chapter 1, verse 18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us that are saved, it's the power of God. Look at verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews, a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks, foolishness. It didn't make sense to the Egyptians, just like our message doesn't make sense to people today. Because our salvation is based on a bloody, gory scene on Calvary. It's a simple gospel of salvation, but the world doesn't understand it without the Holy Spirit convicting them and bringing them to God. Now Luke chapter 23, and I'll ask the men to prepare as we transition now into the taking of the Lord's Supper. Luke chapter 23. Verse 22, excuse me, verse 15. In Luke 22, 15... If you're a believer today, you can take the Lord's Supper. If you're not, I wouldn't. If you're not right with God, I'd confess your sins when we pray. We'll have a moment of silence for you to pray. But Luke 22, 15, Jesus said, With great desire, I've desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He knew what it meant. He had instructed them on the Passover way back thousands of years ago. And now he has a great desire to break bread with his disciples before he dies and becomes becomes our Passover. So Luke twenty two fifteen, with great desire, I have to eat this Passover. I desire to eat this Passover with you.